Oh, hey, good afternoon or good morning, everybody, depending on what part of the country that you're in. Sorry, I was just a little bit mesmerized by our new uh, live stream intro. Mm -hmm. I've only seen it a couple of times because I was busy last week um, with uh, court uh, because Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's chief medical officer of health, was in court and she was in court on the days when I mostly host the show. So I'm not used to seeing that thing. So I was sort of watching it along with everybody at home. Adam, how's it going? Oh, it's going wonderful. Yeah, we're uh, very fortunate to have you handling that court stuff because uh, I couldn't do it and don't want to do it. Um, but yeah, we got to get this intro last week. So that was fun. And it's it's nice, great work to the team there for getting that out. And uh, it's nice to have that little roll in for us. Yeah, um, I should tell everybody what we're doing before we get started. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm the host of the show on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Normally, Adam co-hosts with me on Monday, sort of an Alberta-focused show sometimes, but not so much today. And uh, Adam is based in Calgary. And this gives everybody a chance to sort of interact with each other and us as we interact with each other, Adam and I. Um, we used to just be on YouTube. Um, YouTube got a little bit censorious or a lot bit censorious. So not only are we streaming on YouTube, but we're also on several other free speech minded platforms like Getter. We're currently live streaming on Getter, but we're also on Rumble, Odyssey, and Super U. And the great thing about those platforms is that unlike the censorship platform of YouTube, they allow you to send us something like a paid chat. Um, on Rumble, it's a rant. On Odyssey, it's a hyper chat. And on Super U, it's called a Super U shout. And if you leave us a paid chat, um, a question, a comment, a story idea, a thought, a thought bubble, whatever, um, we'll read it on air. We'll do our best to address whatever it is that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all the nuts and bolts. Uh, we're speeding that along a little bit quicker. Um, Adam, a story that you've been covering yes. since basically your very first day here at Rebel News. You came along at the exact right time because up until then, I had been going back and forth um, from my home east of Edmonton to Calgary to cover the ongoing saga of the persecution of Pastor Art Pulowski. But it, there's been international interest in this and it, Fox News has been very interested in what's going on um, with Pastor Art. And so some of your work was featured in Fox News over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I actually got a message from John, the, uh, the author and journalist of this article. Um, it's incredible, you know, the international attention that's been brought to this. He was telling me that he was wearing a Save Archer shirt, actually, at a bar, I believe, in Washington. And then several people recognized who it was right away and knew what it was about. They're familiar with my coverage, familiar with Pastor Arthur Pawlowski's story. It shocks me so often, even sometimes talking to friends about the ongoing protests or about the Pastor Arthur Pawlowski story. And they have this like mentality of like, oh, well, it's kind of over. And I don't know what people are still sort of upset about. He was just released on extremely strict bail conditions. He can't go about his life. He can't go see a movie with his kids. He can't go to a a restaurant um he basically can go worship and then get his butt back home or he's going to be locked up in the slammer again and i want to remind people and people likely know this if they watch but for the new audience out there for daring to open his church feed homeless people which newsflash people don't stop being hungry when they live on the streets because there's a covid protocol in place and as dave menzies said the odds, the odds of dying from starvation are pretty high covid relatively low um so pastor arthur pavlowski committed to maintaining those things he also headed down to the coots blockade for a couple hours and preached to the people there as pastors tend to do they do some preaching sometimes um for that he spent 50 and a number of other little sort of minute charges 51 days behind bars 
for the amalgamated sanctions that could possibly be levied against him, the charges, he would not spend 51 days in jail. He would not spend 51 days behind bars. Plus, pre-trial time that you serve is actually afforded extra credit. So it's more like 70 to potentially 100 days that he has spent behind bars when pre-trial custody yeah. is considered. So there's no way he would spend this amount of time and nevertheless, he is still under these extremely strict conditions, um, limiting his capacity to exist as a human being. Um, so rightfully, unlike so many Canadians who are apathetic, people I know who don't seem to think this is a big deal, people who have seen overreaching government, people have witnessed uh, persecution, and people who are generally more concerned about upholding their freedoms because they wisely have studied history and don't trust government, the whole world is concerned about this. We as Canadians are somewhat apathetic and comfortable, shockingly, but uh, yeah, tr troubling stuff, but it's good to know that uh, international people are still paying attention. As you can see in uh, the, the article there, there's a shot, there was a billboard in Times Square about Pastor Arthur Poblowski as well. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I want to remind people out there that while he is home and we did have that good news, I did have a chance for that exclusive interview, which is featured in this article. Um, he, he's not free yet. I spoke to his son, Nathaniel Pavlovsky at the rally in Calgary this week. And he's saying, just, he wants to remind people like this isn't over. He's still very much a prisoner. Yeah. And if people want to see your coverage of pastor art and support uh, pastor arts, uh, legal challenges with the government. Um, but why don't you give mm -hmm. them the website for that? Yeah, savearter.com is the spot for all of that. That's savearter, A-R-T-U-R. Um, and you'll find all of our footage there, that exclusive one-hour interview that was filmed just an hour after his release where he went through so much of it. Um, I can tell you, if you scroll down a bit there, you can see that shot. Since we did that interview, I've had like hundreds of people at the rallies come up, lots of them saying they're crying watching that because it is very emotional content. But I've also had so many people reaching out who have been behind bars, whether it be as correctionals officers or people who are incarcerated verifying those stories and saying they've seen the very same things. Um, so do check that out. But yeah, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky has said this repeatedly. Without the help of viewers out there donating to his legal fees, he would have been crushed by the government, maybe not in spirit, but the legal costs associated with taking on a government that categorically targets and persecutes Christians, as we saw with James Coates, Pastor James Coates, as we saw with Pastor Tim Stevens, as we saw this last weekend, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, Derek Reimer, Pastor Derek Reimer arrested, and then they're like, oops, sorry, we don't actually have anything to hold you on. Other groups are doing the exact same things, and they never get targeted. It's always Christian pastors without fail. So if you want to help one of the massive precedent-setting cases that is going to set the bar for if the government can go after Christian pastors, is that of Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. So donate at savearthur.com. Any donations you make, go to the Democracy Fund. That's a registered Canadian charity. So you're going to get a tax receipt for that donation. I uh, use it for next year's tax time. I can't think of a better cause uh, to chip in for. So savearthur.com. Yeah, you mentioned off the top of the show that I was in uh, court last week, Zoom court, WebEx court, it's what it is here in Alberta. And I was covering the uh, cross-examination of our chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, on some of her orders and some of her decisions. And God love these lawyers that went through 400 press conferences that she held. And at one yeah. point, she kept insisting that her restrictions were used sparingly and sparsely. Those, that was the phrase she kept using. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, she also insisted at one point that churches were never closed to in-person worship, drastically restricted, um, but never actually closed. And that was a really um, untrue thing for her to say, given that while she was on the stand, the anniversary of the one year of the fence going up at Grace Life Church ticked over. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was when the church itself was snatched by the government for 90 days in the congregation. They're driven underground. Their pastor previously had spent 35 days in jail, James Coates, for simply not imposing the government restrictions on a congregation that didn't want them. If you wanted to social distance inside of Grace Life Church, you could. You wanted to wear a mask inside of Grace Life, you could. You wanted to obsessively wash your hands inside of Grace Life, also fine. But he wasn't going to make anybody do it. And in fact, he said that it violated his religious freedom. And by limiting the church capacity, it violated his call that you know, based on his interpretation of theology to not yeah. forsake the in-person gathering of the congregation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And hey. while, while Dina Hinshaw said that, the anniversary ticked over. And I yeah. remember I took so many pictures of those signs on the Grace Life fence and before the fence went up on the Grace Life door, signed by mm -hmm. Dina Hinshaw. The order was signed by her to do that. And yet she testified no churches were restricted to in-person worship. That seems a lot like contempt of court to me. <laughs> you know, the, this, the, and the, it's not only that, it's they literally snuck in in the early morning hours at Fairview Baptist Church, Pastor Tim Stevens' church, and changed the locks. They literally, they, they gated one, they locked another one, they closed the churches. And then furthermore, every single church was so limited in capacity that it's like, well, we let five of the, at my old church, 16,000 congregants attend at the time or 10 or 50 um costco yeah. was half of capacity or whatever it was but these churches with all these safeguards in place measures in place that were far more interested a pastor far more interested in the care of his flock than costco cares about uh, random random people coming in and shopping um they they apparently could not be trusted it's wild the other thing that i noticed that 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 ticked around was ramadan and last year during these arrests during the highlight of these arrests you could drive and i mean god bless the them. I, I'm happy that they're able to yeah, gather to worship. This it. is not about, yeah. yeah, but you could drive immediately to any mosque or any Islamic center within five minutes of any of these pastor arrests. And they obviously take their shoes off. You could see hundreds of shoes in the doorways, the parking lots packed to the brim. The unifying factor here, and, and one of the things that's going to no doubt be discussed when this sort of unfolds litigiously, you have a vast diversity of personalities. I was talking with Nathaniel about this this weekend, in fact. You have Pastor James Coates, Pastor Tim Stevens, Pastor Derek Reimer, and Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. I was jokingly calling them the four evangelists uh, on the weekend, but they have such distinct personalities. The only unifying factor really is the fact that they're Christian and were targeted for doing as much. Um, some of them don't have in-building, like Pastor uh, J Derek uh, uh, Reimer, his the majority of his, his stuff is sort of online and then on the streets, outdoors. He sometimes has sort of small gatherings with friends, but he doesn't have a massive church congregation. So they weren't just targeting those facilities. Pastor Arthur Pulowski had a relatively small 
church gathering, and he was targeted for some outdoor ministry. So those two sort of feeding people on the streets. Uh, Pastor James Coates and Pastor uh, Tim Stevens very much having more standard church facilities, having varying degrees of uh, support and certainly allowing people to participate. But there was a wide array of people and a wide array of compliance or non-compliance, depending on the case, with restrictions and how they were implemented. And the unifying factor between all of them is the fact that they were Christian, other denominations doing worse I say worse per the terms of the government, not per my personal opinion. No one dared look there. Even D- Dina Hinshaw said, well, they have they have received some reports, but when they went and checked it out, everything was fine. Well, it took all of 20 minutes of sleuthing to do a quick lap to the other religious communities in the neighborhood to see that there was indeed packed facilities and no enforcement whatsoever, which again, I'm saying good. I don't want any groups targeted by the right. government. People should be left alone to worship. Yeah, they could have. I mean, not that I would want it, but the RCMP were literally stationed at Grace Life on the road, blocking the roads in the church parking lot. Sometimes that didn't happen with other um, religious groups. No, Uh, not that I would want to see it, but I'm just pointing out the inequity of the treatment here. Um, And I noticed something over the weekend. Um, James Coates, pastor at Grace Life Church, he's got a brand new book and he wrote it um, with uh, Nathan Businitz. He is um, also a pastor at, uh, I think it's John MacArthur's church. So um, Grace, Grace Fellowship. Um, I just want to make sure I get it right. John MacArthur's church. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. So, um, one is a church plant of the other. Um, Pastor James Coates did exactly what John MacArthur did and not close his church to comply with the government. But somehow Alberta was more tyrannical than California. And I think that has a lot to do with the strength of the American Constitution versus Mm -hmm. the Canadian one that is limited, um, has reasonable limits. Well, what's a reasonable limit on your freedom? Um, I certainly don't want a politician deciding that for me, but in Canada, that is the case. So James Coates wrote this with... um, the uh, uh, Nathan, who's on the pastoral staff at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, um, about um, the church versus God, or sorry, the church versus government. And mm-hmm. um, this is exactly what James Coates said all along. It is our duty as Christians to obey the government, except in such times that the government is no longer being biblical like we should obey laws that say do not murder do not covet do not steal those are those are laws and so many of our laws are come from biblical origins most of Mm -hmm. our laws come from the ten commandments but when they when you are faced with do i obey the government or do i obey what i know to be commanded by god you must always choose god and so this, it, it details their battle, this new book. And John MacArthur, um, they took on the state of California and they won. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the law said, you cannot impose limits on a church that you didn't impose on Walmart, um, yep. which actually makes perfect sense. But that wasn't the case here in Alberta. 
Well, I want to urge people to check out the conversation that I had with John Carpe specifically on this. And we talked about how the American legal system, some states have independent constitutional courts. But the reason the United States moved beyond this so much faster than us is one, they actually had private health care and they have like five to one ICU beds. So they're better able to cope and deal with people becoming sick should they become sick. But two, their judicial process is actually a tangible process that isn't just madness. Like you don't wait two years for a health officer to be on the stand justifying what they've done once the restrictions are already over. Um, it could be to the extent that there's an intentional shortage and in defunding of the court so that they're unable to deal with so much of this stuff. Because as John Carpe said in that interview, um, it, it's, it's two years versus two weeks to get something yep. addressed. And, and the, the same sort of legal precedent would be, well, we don't take action. We're not going to stifle. If there's a two-year delay, we're going to lay away these restrictions until they can be justified. Unfortunately, in Canada, they've taken the opposite approach. And they're like, we're going to leave all these clearly charter smashing and defying restrictions in place until two years from now when Dina Hinchai isn't on vacation. She's willing to sort of show up on stand. Um, now, the it still matters because if there is a ruling from this court saying the government moving forward has to justify in court any actions they take because they did violate people's rights, it could prevent in November or whatever them from bringing all the restrictions back. It could be a valuable tool, but we shouldn't face two years of trampling of our freedoms and rights, still being unable to travel within this country without any official ever having to show up because you can use any justification. There's always some crisis in the world. If it's not real, it's manufactured like Jyoti Gondek with this emergency crisis um, in the city, this climate crisis. But there's always going to be some sort of crisis to justify taking our rights away. And as uh, we'll get into it here, but Dr. Leslie Lewis said the Emergencies Act every time she said this over the weekend. It was used. It was abused. Um, they've overstepped. There's no safeguards and measures. The courts are overworked, so they can't uh, address or make account for this. So a very important work that's being done, but it should have been done, oh, 18 months sooner. Yeah, I mean, to hear Dr. Dina Hinch basically say, well, we were kind of learning on the job. We'd never faced anything like this before. So yeah. what do you want from us? basically shrug. I don't know what you want from us. We didn't know what we were dealing with. Well, that's exactly when you need to be more prudent and more yeah. cautious, not with public safety, but with our rights, because the yeah. charter exists to protect us from the government when government has a propensity for overreach, which it always mm -hmm. does. They shouldn't be an afterthought in, when you're trying to smack down a disease. We now know was nowhere near as deadly as everybody told us it was. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? Let's go to Dr. Lewis's clip before I get us kicked off of YouTube. Yeah. Pull that up. While we're pulling it up, I'll, I'll stop as soon as it gets pulled up here, though. But uh, yeah, I, I remember the Ontario health bureaucrat, and we had it on stream recently saying, I won't hesitate to bring these back. Well, yeah, you literally should. That's not a thing. That's like, well, I'm not going to hesitate before I jump. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to hesitate before I jump off this cliff. Maybe check the water first to make sure you're not diving into rocks. Um, yeah, you should be cautious. You should be careful. You should be hesitant. I'm not sure if Olivia has that one specific clip pulled up though. There we go. Yeah, this one. Or yeah, that's I just the general. Them to the party, and I'd love to have a conversation with them. And I believe 
that even though we may have differences of opinion, that there is a middle ground. There is, There are things that we can agree on. But what the left has done, the left has, create, has, has turned everything into a black and white, demonize and divide, polarize, division and that is that is a problem and so I, I honestly believe that if we can reach out to people um, millennials and let them know that we are the party that's securing their future we are the party that wants to ensure that they own a home the left Wants to wants you to have nothing, and they say you're going to be happy, but it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Later on, she went on to talk about uh, the the crisis. She said she was amidst the truckers in Ottawa, and she, as a black woman who's experienced persecution and adversity in her life, said she's never felt more welcomed or safe. There was bouncy castles; everyone was very lovely to her. Um, so she said she had a, a, a wonderful time with those folks, and they were all nothing but nice to her. But yeah, she went on to talk about, and one of the lines that really killed me that, that was very strong. I threw it up on my Twitter was like when 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 the Nazis were bombing England, Churchill was in. Parliament, um, when we declared an emergencies act, if we're going to declare an emergencies act and strip people's freedom, she's like, we should be in parliament working 24 hours a day till we resolve that situation or have some sort of plan in place. She's like, they closed parliament. They declared an yeah. emergency, stripped our freedoms and closed parliament. They got everything absolutely wrong. Uh, another thing I want to, if uh, I want to touch on relating to that event, if that's okay, or do you have something else on this topic? No, first? no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Nope. You know, it was it was really shocking. And I don't like to get into this sort of demographic banter. Frankly, I don't care. I judge a person based on their sort of constitution, not the color of their skin or where they're from. But at, a, at an event in Calgary, there was two events. One had a couple hundred. The following event, it was hard to gauge on the room, but they said there was 1,200 chairs out and they were almost entirely full I had in Calgary. Full I had 500 full capacity yeah. at a church, yeah. uh, a church gym church school gym yeah. on Saturday morning. Like she's drawing yeah. big crowds. So big crowds. I mean, it's not a surprise on the second ballot. She won the popular vote in the 2020 election. She's not a come from behind surprise case. She is one of the front runners, but, uh, one of the things that absolutely shocked me, she put a picture up, and I'm actually in the front row of the picture because I'm filming, um, saying Calgary's beautiful, it's great to be here. You can go to that, and it's it's wild how underlyingly racist so many progressives are on social media. They immediately start talking about race. They don't do it for anybody else. Like It's just because it's a black candidate. But you have this large crowd coming to see a black woman, a doctor, a very educated, smart, successful businesswoman. They very likely want her to be the leader of the conservative party moving forward. So by default, there's probably some questions asked about how racist this crowd is, but they're implying that these people are all white and all racist and don't represent uh, minorities in any way, shape, or form. Furthermore, the fact is I'm sitting right next to a guy who happens to be black, not that it matters, and there's a bunch of people of various races in the crowd sitting with us. Um, and, and people on social media immediately with this candidate, presumably because she's black, all they're talking about is race. All she's talking about is her good ideas. And it's so shocking and so upsetting to see that become just like a standard talking point. They're trying to imply that the black woman and her supporters are racist. And I don't understand how you have the audacity as usually a white person on Twitter to have that be your principal talking point. Address address her ideas, address some sort of conceptual problem you have with her campaign. But defaulting to that is just ridiculous and revealing. Adam, these people voted for a man who lost track of the amount of times that he did blackface. 
and they just yeah. pretend like Leslie Lewis doesn't exist, that she's not yeah. a conservative, that she that that conserve. By the way, Western conservative voters, the ones they like to mm-hmm. paint as backwards hillbilly white supremacist, women hating, immigrant hating. She dominated. People, she dominated. They were more than the happy. West. She dominated yeah. the West. Western conservatives were more than happy to support her. And I think it's because she's mm-hmm. honest. Um, I, yeah. Again, I don't have a horse in the race, but she comes out and she says, yeah, I'm a social conservative. Yeah, I'm pro-life. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Everybody's and, welcome and, in this party. People knew that about Andrew Scheer, but he lied. Yeah. Or at least he didn't yeah. talk openly about it. So everyone's like, gosh, this guy's dishonest. Mm-hmm. At least she's leading with her chin on this issue. And, you know, you, that's the one thing in my coffee and in my, I think it was my coverage of the first event. She doesn't really speak like a politician. She's like a yeah. lawyer and a serious businesswoman and an educated woman who just gets to the facts. And she doesn't change her opinion based on the room she's in. She's like, I don't care if yeah. you're pro-choice. I'm pro-life. That's fine. Let's work on crisis pregnancy centers together. We can agree on that. Even in an Alberta room that said they just wanted oil, she said Alberta oil is the most ethical oil in the world. One of the best things we can do for this country and for the world is to export our ethical oil. Oil. she's very pro pipeline this like yeah. she's very much on point with us talking about but she does have a background in environment and ecology and all this stuff so she's like but like renewables are good it just we can't we they're not a replacement they're an additional thing even if we and were to be like, all we renewable to pay for them she's yeah like, we don't exactly pay for them. Yeah, yeah, one thing that yeah. i heard from her over the weekend and it was if i had a chance to ask her a question i would have asked her about this because she might be the only person who's written more extensively on the paris accord than me in this entire country mm-hmm. and um she said and i wanted to ask her about this because she's sort of written big big thinker papers on the paris accord and she has said those targets that are in the paris accord They are Harper's emissions targets. But she also said Trump pulled out of the Paris Accord and emissions went down through his embrace of fracking. And maybe these big global treaties are not the way to deal with emissions or help the environment. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted somebody to say. One of the other things I see on social media is people say she's like a WEF loyalist and a big WHA. She's she was dunking on them so hard at these events. Like she literally said the WHO, like unified pandemic response or global pandemic response, (laughs) um, basically allows them to take control of governments during pandemics moving forward. And she's like, we need to get rid of that. That's like a premium WHO WEF type move. And she's she's actually bringing attention to it when people don't know about it. So I certainly don't buy uh, that whatsoever. But uh, yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, one of the things that I that I do see, and maybe we should get into this now, seeing as we're talking leadership. But one of my concerns, and I hate to do this because every time we say something on stream next week, we're we're applauding ourselves and patting ourselves on the back for being so right. Jean Charest has already started saying, "Well, people who support the the blockades, or even people who support the truckers, um, should be." should be exempt. So that that seems to me like someone who knows they're not going to be Pierre Polyever or Leslie Lewis, who have, well, Pierre Polyever said he's not in favor of blockades, but he's pro-freedom protests. Um, Leslie Lewis Fair said enough. she's in fa- she's full on in favor of the truckers in Ottawa. Um, maybe not the illegal stuff, which was marginal at best. We saw crime decrease, but um, they, they're both saying generally, it's good that Canadians stood up for freedom. Um, Jean Charest is saying, if you want to be the leader of the conservative party, you should shouldn't be allowed to be in support of any of that whatsoever. Um, I, Pierre Polyever seems to be sort of running away with it. Leslie Lewis drawing some similar 
crowds. Um, I think other people, whether it be Patrick Brown, who I don't believe has been approved yet, um, or some of these other marginal candidates, I don't think they're quite as prominent. Um, certainly they have their followers, they have their support. Um, we'll see how things unfold with debates and everything, but if there are ever debates. Um, but it, it's, it, it seems as though there will be some targeting, and not by the book campaign targeting, but some trying to get rid of these people based on values testing um, that is insane values testing, but is very woke liberal party Quebec values testing, let's say. Um, And and, and that's troubling to me because are we going to end up with someone else? And someone who's pushing for that, by the way, I consider them part of the Trudeau team, to be honest, because we finally have people, Pierre Polyevre and Leslie Lewis are both strong personalities. Some of the other candidates, Roman Baber, um, some of the other candidates, some of their emails are strong. They do seem to have personalities. But for the first time, we have people who I think would absolutely mop the floor with Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I'm not, I'm bored. not bored. Pierre Polyevre <laughs> and Leslie Lewis on two different fronts would wipe the floor with Trudeau during debates. He couldn't finagle his way out of it. He would just be in trouble. Frankly, if either of those two win, I think he's probably like, I've had a good run. Thanks. Someone else can take over because he knows he's not going to win. Um, but imagine if within the Conservative Party, I don't think Candace would let it happen, Candace Bergen, but uh, imagine if they got rid of their few horses who could actually make a difference. Yeah. I think mm. Jean Charest is polling at about 20%, um, mm-hmm. which frankly seems high. And I would like to see those numbers now that he's come out against the convoy. Um, late last week, he announced that if he became the leader of not only the Conservative Party, but also of Canada, he would basically bring in a critical infrastructure defense act version for the federal government. Um which is the thing that imprisoned Pastor Art for 51 days for giving a speech. And it would impose harsher penalties. Basically, it would take the Emergencies Act and turn Mm -hmm. it into a regular law um, that you could get in trouble for instead of something that you need to invoke the way the federal government did. Just it's there on the books and the police can use it or abuse it, as is the case with Pastor Art, whenever they felt like. Um, And that is dangerous. Uh, because it will be used, of course, against peaceful protesters um, Mm -hmm. and government critics. um, And Justin Trudeau will be the prime minister forever if the Conservative Party of Canada chooses old Huawei Sheree. um, And he'll just, you know, the police can use the Sheree's version of the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. And uh, Trudeau can pull the old Mugabe and go to the beach um, when he's sending in the cops to crack heads. Um, we have a uh, clip from CTV um, from Question Period, CTV's show Question Period over the weekend. My Skype is falling apart. Um, over the weekend where um, Sheree said that if you supported the Freedom Convoy, you should be excluded from uh, running for the Conservative Party leadership, which is, I mean, Sheree, read the room. The reason Aaron O'Toole is no longer the leader, the reason Sheree is running to be the leader is because Aaron O'Toole was kicked out of the leadership for his lack of support for the convoy, Mm -hmm. and yet Sheree can't read the room. Anyways, let's show this clip because I've got lots of feelings about the things that he said here and why Sheree should be disqualified from running for the leadership. 
supports freedom. No, 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 no. He says he supports freedom. Excuse, excuse me. I mean, d d were you mistaken? I mean, he actually didn't support the blockade. What you saw, what he did was... He was, was out there, he was out no, there with he, the truckers. You, you sound like you drank the Kool-Aid here. No, no, he I was know. out there with the truckers. Every, I'm giving everyone, you his view. Evan, everyone knows that Pierre Poliev supported the blockade. And I don't know, I don't care how much spin you put into it. Here is someone who makes laws and says, I can break laws because I'm above the law. Well, I'm sorry. If you want to be a leader of a party, if you want to sit in the House of Commons and make laws, you have to obey them. The laws of the land are not a buffet table from which you choose what you want or do not want to support. And if you say to Canadians, I want to be the leader of the Conservative Party and I want to be the chief legislator of the country, but I don't have to obey the laws, I'm sorry. That's not just a failure in leadership, it disqualifies you, as far as I'm concerned, as being someone who thinks or aspires to be a leader. Supports freedom. No, 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 no. Okay, so this guy, Jean Charest, Huawei Charest, as he's called um, in some of the funnier parts of Twitter, um, he worked for Huawei as a lawyer, as a consultant. Huawei is the spy arm, the high-tech spy arm masquerading as a technology company of the Chinese communist state. It's basically literally an arm of the state, um, which wisely offers great quality phones with great quality cameras at a lower price point so that Westerners buy them and they're, they've got spyware in them. But while... Jean, which is kind of sneaky, but smart if you're a communist. But mm -hmm. and the official position of the Conservative Party of Canada is Huawei should be nowhere near our 5G network. But it is the Liberals lack of leadership on this issue has caused problems with the five eyes, our sort of um, security uh, conglomerate of the Western world. But the leader, the guy who wants to be the leader of the Conservative Party, he was working for Huawei. Now, he said he was proud of the work that he did for Huawei, and he said he helped negotiate the release of the two Michaels after, um, on behalf of Huawei, I would suggest, the communist government abducted two innocent Canadians and jailed them for, I think, two, three years, 600 days, something like that, Um uh, basically, they were hostages, human bargaining chips, after Meng Wanzhou was arrested at the Vancouver airport on an American warrant, which is Canadians honoring their treaties with the United States, um, which is what we do so that we don't become a hotbed of criminals to just flee to from the United States. If we don't honor that treaty, yeah. then anyone can just land in the Vancouver airport and we become a dumping ground for American criminals or people fleeing justice from the United States. So he helped negotiate the release of those two men. So he says, I don't have any reason to doubt that. But where is his sudden um, moral code when working yeah. for Huawei? Huawei was, besides all the bad stuff we know about Huawei, Recently, as in during the time that he was working for Huawei, Huawei was developing facial recognition software that could recognize Uyghurs based on their ethnic face facial um, yep. features so that the Chinese government could go around up and say, 
You, you're going to the re-education camp. You, lady, you're getting sterilized. Little Huawei kids, you guys, you don't have your Muslim names anymore and you don't get to speak your language. You're headed off to the residential school for little uh, Muslim kids. And you, nice family, nice little uh, Uyghur family, you get to make shoes for Nike um, yeah. at slave labor. That's what Huawei was doing while Jean Charest was working for them. Now, going forward... Um, executives for Huawei. Now, I, again, who knows if this is sincere, but when the news broke that Huawei was doing this, and I, I, I'm skeptical that they didn't know Huawei was doing this, but they were embarrassed that the world found out that Huawei was doing this. Western Huawei executives, like ones from Denmark, um, they quit Huawei, they said, uh, no, we don't want any part of this. We don't want to be associated with a company that does this sort of horrible genocide enforcement. The, Huawei is a tool of genocide against the Uyghurs. They're the surveillance arm of the genocide state there. But you know who didn't do anything about it? Jean Charest. He was cashing checks and making bank for Huawei. So how dare this man invoke his moral code now? Because truckers stood up for freedom and politicians supported them when the systems around the truckers failed, including their own MPs. That's why the truckers, by the way, went to Ottawa. The courts failed them. The public health officers failed them. The governments failed them. The charter failed them. Lawyers failed them. Their unions failed them. They took matters into their own hands. It should be an embarrassment on politicians like Jean Charest that the truckers had to do this for themselves because the systems were so ineffective and flawed. But how dare he now say that people, supporting people standing up for their freedom should disqualify you? Working for Huawei should disqualify him from public society forever. That's my rant on yeah. Sheree. Thank you for coming to that my TED good, Talk. That was a good rant. Clip <laughs> it, Efron, clip it. Um, <laughs> that was good. No, I, and the thing that's shocking here and the thing that was most upsetting about, about it for me was him saying he was proud of it. You know, I completely yes. understand the, 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 the response. If you were to take a microphone and say, you know, listen, when I finished with public office, I worked for a firm. One of the accounts that we were associated with, they had a giant account with Huawei. Work was put on my desk. I worked for the company. I did the work. And then he would say, some of the things that we have learned since are incredibly troubling. They are clearly a, a spy wing of the Chinese government. They've engaged I in regret it. genocides. Yeah. I regret it fundamentally. Did he say any of those things whatsoever? Was he at all apologetic? No. He he he, he literally basically added Huawei Charest to his business card. Um, and, and 100% for him to say, I'm okay with the Chinese government, I'm okay with enforcement of this Uyghur genocide, all that sort of stuff. Um, not maybe overtly, but he in no way acknowledged that Huawei is problematic. He's so loyal to the Chinese government and he's so loyal to Huawei that he had to say they're good guys and I'm very proud of what I did for them. That's where his loyalties will lie. He's revealed that to us already on a fundamental way, unless I'm happy to sit down with Jean Charest and have him tell me the contrary, have that conversation. Yeah. But you're in no position to criticize someone for speaking with law-abiding, peaceful truckers who were saying, well, the courts have failed us, the media have failed us, academics have failed us, society has failed us, and we're the only ones saying, oh, by the way, there's a criminal code of Canada and charter rights and freedoms enshrined in Canada. Um, Justin's dad brought them in. They should probably know that. Um, and we're going to have to make this message loud and clear. And they went and had the most peaceful protests. We saw criminality 
plummet. They were cleaning up after themselves. There was nothing. All firsthand accounts, including all our journalists on the ground, was that it was basically a socialist utopia where everyone was feeding each other and loving each other, and there was no need or want for anything. Um, those are the villains. Um, it's it's so shocking how often these progressive types, whether they're in the conservative party or otherwise, they treat China as this socialist utopia. And then when truckers get together, when I was at Milk River, you didn't want for anything because um, you're obviously pretty far away from everything. But if you yeah. went eight hours without eating, someone would notice and say, hey, listen, like you should probably <laughs> grab a bite of something. Um, it, it, the, the mischaracterization of this is so shocking. And I think that this mentality that, Freedom protesters, truckers, whatever, are villains is absolutely laughable. Most of the people out here that are attending protests, they're no longer necessarily subject to restrictions. Many of them are people who were vaccinated, who've gone along with everything, and they're saying enough is enough. And they're now going out week after week protesting for the rights of other Canadians because they are principled. These aren't yahoos. These aren't uneducated people. When you talk to these people, and we do streeters with them, they're very nuanced. They're saying there are certain still, they're certainly still some charter violations that are in place and we want safeguards in place to protect our guaranteed and enshrined rights that's what they're protesting for they're not angry they're not racist they're in fact informed and they see what's going on and for jean charret someone who wants to be the leader of the country to be engaging in the type of rhetoric that has seen justin trudeau plummet in his popularity um he's no he's in no way shape or form fit to lead the conservatives uh, let let alone the country. I do have to say, though, and this thought just dawned on me, one of my massive concerns here, we are seeing NDP supporters massively upset with Jagmeet Singh and the NDP for aligning with Justin Trudeau. If they decide to cast protest votes or become politically active in order to sort of punish the NDP for what has happened with Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, they're not likely to buy memberships and vote for Pierre Polyavra or Leslin Lewis. I have, a, I have a very big fear that a more moderate person with some political background like Jean Charest might get some of those protest votes and we might see some funny business and that's very alarming. What a nightmare. Yeah, Jean Charest has never renounced his work with Huawei. And he's never said that Huawei is, even to use the language of the left, problematic. What he has said, though, is that, well, if it, if that's what the Conservative Party wants me to do and that's ban Huawei, then that's what I'll do. Oh, so you, you, you don't have an opinion on these enablers of genocide? Um, I want a politician that has an opinion on the enablers of genocide. Um, and if you don't, I've got a bit of a problem with you. Like there are some yeah. things where it's like, uh, you know what? I'm just whatever. I don't care. But I feel like genocide is one of those things that you should probably care about and spying and the fact that Chinese imperialism is on the march. Um, yeah. But I feel like a politician who wants to be in charge of the country and the security apparatus of the country might could probably have an opinion on that. And and it doesn't it doesn't even boil down like I mean I would juxtapose uh, or I would highlight at least the the problem of sometimes ideological politicians like Mayor Gioti Gondek who this sure. weekend alone we literally saw. Uh, in the park where these protesters were to told they're not allowed to be and a week earlier 
city hall was allegedly booked even though no one was there and they tried to gather in this park and they were told no one moved well a pro-palestinian protest erupted in this park and because these protesters were now at city hall they actually just said it's fine you're allowed to stay so you yeah. pro-ukrainian protests they're honking their horns they've got signs they've got amplifiers no problem whatsoever here's a shot mocha got pro-palestinian protesters in the Every park blocking the streets or sidewalks <laughs> violating the injunction no problem whatsoever they talked to them a bit you know, and at least there were no calls for them. genocide usually there's calls for genocide yes. there yeah well <laughs> you, you know? know the funny thing is they they were actually chanting about trudeau they were actually chanting about how trudeau is terrible so everyone was in agreement <laughs> um, you know what but yeah it's, i can hold hands yeah, with those but, people on that one issue for sure <laughs> the the the, sh the sort of shocking thing there is th that that ideological uneven application of the law that GOT Gondek has advocated for, enforced, and is clearly part of, and along with Giancarlo and some of these other uh, activist uh, counselors um, in the city of Calgary police have been enforcing. That's extremely problematic. But this issue, what we need as politicians, maybe not with ideas or ideologies, but with principles, like a blanket application of the law, like genocide is bad or a communist spying is bad. Um, and then you you evenly apply principles or laws to limit that sort of activity. Um, so I, I don't want, I don't actually want activist politicians, but I do want politicians who have principles and don't simply go wherever the wind blows them um, and say, no, 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 I'm against genocide. And if the rest of the party says they're pro-genocide, I don't care, I'm still gonna be against genocide because it's wrong. That that's what we need some of, and that's what we're that's what we see with Pierre Polyever. That's what we see with Leslie Lewis, Roman Baber, some of these other candidates. They're actually sending out emails and saying things. Um, Aaron O'Toole didn't like saying things. He liked saying we have a plan and we're going to do some stuff. And he literally said things instead of saying anything of substance, which was yeah. shocking. Um, speaking of which, things and think things. Yeah, and we have um, a plan I'm in his hands. Let's, let's go to this politician to... saying things. <laughs> yeah, let's go to a fun politician. Um, we've yeah. got two clips of a politician who not only says things, but does things. Um, yeah. Ron DeSantis, big Ron. Um, he was welcomed to UFC, I think it was last night. Was it Saturday night? Saturday, probably I'm not Saturday. Sure. Saturday night. Um, we've got a clip from Benny Johnson. You can hear the crowd roar when big Ron walk, walks in. Um, and as Benny Johnson points out, this is exactly why Democrats are just like, well, Florida's a lost cause. Let's see what we can do about dumping a bunch of people into Texas, um, uh, because freedom has really been an issue that has been cross-partisan, particularly in Canada. You see it all the time. You go to these freedom protests and you're like, I don't know how all of these people get along, but they are united on this one issue like the granolas are there the truckers yeah. are there the rig hands are there the homeschoolers are there the religious right is there um the um crystals cure cancer uh far left they're also there and they're all marching for freedom they all just want to be left alone by the government which is basically yeah. my entire political philosophy that's what big ron has turned florida into where he sees okay Parents flipped an entire state over parents' rights and being treated like terrorists at the school board meetings. Let's let's drive that issue home in Florida that we're never going to have uh, a state that stomps on parents' rights and um, 
prevents parents from knowing what's happening in the classroom. So he brings a law, um, basically the, the OK Groomers law, um, <laughs> uh, the don't say gay law if you listen to Disney. But people love Bigger on for this. You know, it's like the media and like 10 Democrats that are whipping up outrage on the Internet. But the people... The voters, they love Big Ron. This clip from UFC shows it. And then there's an issue that's near and dear to your heart that Big Ron is taking care of in Florida also. So let's roll the UFC clip first. Like he's going into the Royal Rumble. Like <laughs> Yeah. He's getting in the ring in the left corner, Governor yeah. Rondas. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty wild. And I'm, you know what? I mean, I think it's Justin Trudeau had his little phase of that for a while. Um, whether it be Alberta politics, Jason Kenny had it when he first got here. That's kind of gone by the wayside. But whether yeah. it be conservatism provincially or federally, I think conservatives in Canada are overdue for being excited about someone or something. Um, well, I don't know what it's going to be provincially. It seems to be, uh, maybe we'll get later. I know we're tight on time, but uh, the Pierre Polyev clip later. Um, but there, there seems to be some excitement among conservatives. There seems to be, uh, I actually want, I'm, I, there's these two people I want to vote for and I'm torn as opposed to right. uh, who am I going to vote for, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. exciting to see, but yeah, let, let's pull up this next clip um, that addresses a sort of real fundamental issue um, in society. And often when people talk about government spending, I kind of roll my eyes, but um, this time I was at, uh, full attention because this, this is very important. Engage with each other, and that's why we're here today. I'll be signing HB 765, uh, which helps support 7065, which helps support fathers and encourage their active participation in their children's lives. And we had a great uh, legislative uh, leaders uh, bring this across the finish line, including Speaker Sprouls. Uh, so we want to thank them. But they also, not only are there good initiatives, this comes with funding uh, that will help make those initiatives effective. So this bill is tied to $70 million in funding uh, to provide a wide array of family and youth support through our Department of Children and Families, as well as our Department of Juvenile Justice. Uh, and they will be working very closely uh, to support fatherhood throughout our state. Um, at Department of Children and Family, this bill um, is going to create a statewide awareness campaign to call attention to the importance of responsible fatherhood and to equip fathers with resources to stay engaged in their children's lives. Uh, this will also provide funding, uh, grant uh, opportunities for nonprofit organizations such as Coach Dungy's All Pro Dads organization uh, that use evidence-based parenting education to help fathers stay engaged and to connect with their children. Uh, the bill also will support case managers who will help fathers find employment, transition from incarceration, and to better manage their obligations. Uh, the bill also supports and creates mentorship programs at the Department of Juvenile Justice for at-risk youth. Um, and through many of their existing programs, DJJ helps young men develop social, emotional life skills that will pre prepare them for future success. But this bill takes those programs to the next level by increasing mentorship opportunities for at-risk youth. Uh, for many of these youth, uh, their mentor may be the only father figure that, that they have. So I look forward to seeing both. Yeah. You know, the, the, you can, you can speak to the statistics, certainly in your perspective yeah, as a mother can. on the, on the vitality. Let's start with that. Yeah. Get right into that. If you don't mind. 
I can, I look at this two ways because I grew up without a dad, not because my dad left us, um, didn't want to be a dad. My dad died when I was quite young, uh, before I was nine years old. And so I was raised by a, a widow, a single mom. I saw how hard it was for her. And, um, uh, luckily I, I think I grew, I reflect some of that work ethic, but this thing that Ron DeSantis is doing, this could be the single thing that could change society for the better. And when you think about the size of the investment, it's actually not all that much money considering how much money they spend on reproductive rights. And we all know what that means. Um, adjust, I brought up some statistics because, um, the biggest indicator of future criminality is whether or not you're from a broken home. And that is adjusted to race The whether you're white, you're Hispanic or you're black, it's all the same if you don't have a dad in the household. And so many of the social programs over the last 50 years have actually incentivized dads to be out of the home. You get more welfare if dad's out of the home. You get more welfare if you have more kids and dad's out of the home, which exacerbates the problem. We have to incentivize families to stay together. Divorce is far too easy. Um, you know, and, and that is not to say that there there aren't solutions for dangerous situations and, uh, you know, where there's harm in the family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, um, you know, where it's just like, you know, what, we had a good run. I'm out of here. That's just far. Families are disposable and the government steps in to make it easy for families to be disposable. And so I brought up some statistics because this is always something that is near and dear to my heart as a mother, but I'm sure it is for you as a dad, Adam, because you know the value of your your role in your child's life, both your daughters, but also for little boys too. Um, you know, when you look at, you see just the hypersexualization of young girls and you see, oh, that's a girl with dad issues, for sure. 100%, you're just looking for male attention. You don't know the best way to get it because you're looking at what social media tells you to do. But an analysis of 50 separate studies of juvenile crime revealed that prevalence of delinquency in broken homes was 10 to 15% higher than in intact homes. In addition, there were no appreciable differences in the impact of broken homes between boys and girls or between black youths and white youths. And this is a statistic that has been known since at least 1991. A study of adolescents convicted of homicide in adult court found that at the time of the crimes, this is astounding. This is astounding. Dads figure things out, stay in that home. 42.9% of their parents had never been married. 29.5, one in three percent were divorced and 8.9% were separated. Less than 20% of these children were from married parent households. This is the value of fathers. This is the value of marriage. Um, boys who are fatherless from birth are th over three times as likely to go to jail as peers from intact families, while boys who do not see their father, father depart the family until they are 10 to 14 years old are... 2.3 times as likely to go to jail as peers from intact families. So it's better to stay longer, but still terrible, terrible for your children if you leave the house. Yeah. Uh, one last one. States with lower percentage of single parent families on average had lower rates of juvenile crime. State by state analysis indicated that in general, a 10% increase in the number of children living in single parent homes, including divorces, 
accompanied a 17% increase in juvenile crime. And I could read these statistics all day. But every yeah. single statistic across the board says get married before you have kids and stay married if you want to give your kids a fighting chance in this world. And it is particularly important for kids in lower socioeconomic demographics. You know, we we see firsthand, I, for many people who don't know, I was a social worker for a time. Um, I also worked in a church and dealt with some sort of youth ministry stuff. So you encounter some of these things and the extent to which, particularly as a social worker, because I dealt with some extremely difficult circumstances, these children universally need masculinity and femininity to mirror in their life. Society, very pro-woman, very anti-man. So you have society telling men they're worthless and they're not any good and they're what's wrong with the world and everything that's terrible with the world. It's bogus. Don't buy it for a second. Masculinity and femininity are equally essential for children. Girls learn what to expect from men and what to be like from their mothers. And it goes the other way. Boys learn what to be like from their dads and what to expect and how to be treated from women. And they mirror those behaviors throughout their entire life, plain and simple. Fatherlessness is one of the biggest issues in society. And when I was a social worker, you saw these kids prone to outbursts, prone to aggressive sexualization of women. And when you looked at their lives, they had a female teacher. They went to the group home with all female staff. They had no male models. When I show up and I take them out and I play football with them, you talk about superhero movies or you do some masculine type activity. We literally saw adverse behavior within those contexts evaporate. And you'd leave the area because you'd be sent on to another job and then behaviors would rematerialize and occur once again. To all the men out there, sometimes one of these sort of cliches we hear is that men just have to get it done. And we just have to stick it through that very often results in sort of mental illness, depression, all these issues, but don't let society tell you that that persistence, that resiliency to stick it through and get things done is a bad thing. It isn't, it is masculine and it is good. And when it's hard with the family, when it's hard having kids, when it's hard with your wife, whatever those circumstances may be, just be a man do the right thing. And ultimately in the short term, it may be difficult. There may be challenges, but in the long term, what you are doing is right. And that will pay off both as far as your own personal mental health, but as far as society broadly as well, society needs dad, society needs father, society needs pos positive masculinity to mirror or else society falls apart. The family is the building block of society. As we saw the family come under attack, sexuality be destroyed, the prolific uh, implementation of abortion policies, um, uh, a number of other issues that we don't need to necessarily get into. But as we saw all those progressive talking points forced into the family, we saw the family eroded. We saw the building block of society eroded. And we are now seeing the inevitable consequence that has been prophesized by everyone from Pope Paul VI to onward. Yeah. We've seen everything that they said was going to happen happen. We, we've witnessed it firsthand. The building block of society was attacked. It is crumbling, and therefore society is inevitably crumbling. We need to bring fathers back into the home. We need to have those masculine and feminine virtues mirrored within the society. And that can be done in your case. A mother can embody those traits, but it's difficult. It's not the innate natural capacity. Men are a certain way. Women are a certain way. They mirror those things. And that is needed for society to carry on. That's needed for family to carry on.
and before people say that I'm coming from a position of privilege on this or whatever, um, like I said, I was raised by a widow, rural widow. We struggled all the time. Thank God we had a farm. Um, but I also became a single mother at 19 to my son. And so I, I've lived both sides of this. And I can tell you through my lived experience, I was a child of married parents. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. And I was a single mother trying to raise my son alone. And then I wasn't. Then I was a mother of three and married. So I can tell you, I've walked on both sides of this. And it is always better for you, your children, for society that you were married and raising those kids with a mom and a dad. I, I, I can tell you with absolute confidence and through my own experience that that is, I promise you, it is the case. And, you know, you, you've addressed the, the dad side of this, but let me address the mom side of this. We are told as women, and it is a cruel, cruel lie that kids and women pay the price for, that you can have it all. You can be a single mom. And you can have everything you want and you can, you know, you can work, you can have a career and you won't suffer for it and neither will, will your children, but everybody suffers. You're half-assing your whole day, um, you're exhausted and you know who suffers the most? Your kid, because somebody else is raising him while you're working or you're struggling to get him from here to there. You don't have the time to give your child because you're not able to give that time to your child because you're just struggling to meet your needs every single day. And I mean, I mean one last point on this, if you don't mind, please. I, no, I, I don't care if you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whoever the heck you are, yeah. whatever you've built in the world. I don't care if you're Julius Caesar or Alexander the great, literally the, the net contribution of everything you're, you've done amounts to nothing compared to a mother birthing and raising a child like participating in that miracle of life trumps any sort of material creation within this world so society's also told women the lie that what matters is sort of traditional masculine accomplishment and that the miraculous things that women can do that men cannot do um, are not valuable that's nonsense and that's a lie and as a dad i want to say thanks to all the mothers out there because uh, don't buy the lies all righty. Now that we've had uh, this meeting of the mom and dad appreciation committee, <laughs> uh, we should get to uh, some of our chats. We've got a few here. Yes. Um, we've got one from Cuba Bound, gives us five libraries and says, Hinshaw is guilty of perjury. If she doesn't face consequences for that, there's no real law in this country. Oh, she'll just say, well, based on the information that I had, or that's really been the story of her testimony. It's based on the information that we had at the time, this is why I made that decision. And, you know, while simultaneously telling everybody else, maybe we should try it this way because it's not going to work out the way that you say it is. She was accusing those people of being naysayers and unbelievers or non-believers or whatever religious terminology she used to describe people who were like, maybe there's a different way to do things here. As it turns out, oh, yeah. all the people that she maligned as naysayers, they were actually right. They got it right. And us. she got it wrong. Yeah, us, me. Yeah. Five bucks from Fraser McBurney. Cap blocks, fully engaged. Good to see, Fraser. Uh, when will you be fed up with the legacy media, uh, CP, Lib, NDP? They will. They have indebted us to over a trillion dollars. When will you be fed up with the legacy media? They have lied, misled you. 
and they are the voice of the government. Turn to the bright side and place your vote with the parties. Turn off the TV. Uh, C1CIS gives us a buck. Sheree will turn will turn the Conservative Party of Canada into the Communist Party of China. Don't worry, it's just a small change. Nobody will notice. <laughs> all right. Uh, is that Pretty everything, much. Olivia? Is the, are those all of our chats? Um, by the way, everybody, it was Olivia's birthday today, and I forgot to mention her happy birthday off the top of the show. Um, so, um, yes, sorry about that. I was going to suggest that if you wanted to send birthday wishes to Olivia, um, you could do that in the form of a, a paid chat. But I completely forgot, and I'm really sorry, Olivia. Please accept my apologies. Happy, happy birthday. <laughs> um, I think that's everything um i think we're all caught up adam um we're only four minutes past so that's uh you know frankly a miracle uh <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for co-hosting with me thank you olivia and i'm sorry i forgot about your birthday uh thank you to everybody behind the scenes in the office and working remotely who work really hard to bring you the news and in particular the show to let you know that we're on the air and we're on all these different platforms um thank you um to everybody who pitched in a little bit to keep the lights on um we'll never take a penny from justin trudeau and so we rely on the support of people like you at home um uh i think i'm back in the big no i'm not i'm busy tomorrow i'm on a rare like half a sort of a day off tomorrow um on mm. another matter yeah i know it's weird so uh, i think yeah. david is co-hosting with nat tomorrow so if you want to watch them yeah that'll be fun um it'll be like boomers versus uh zoomers <laughs> <laughs> that'll be kind of fun um and uh as David Menzies always says, everybody, stay sane. Do you think that the government is going to try to stop crypto or they're in on it? I think various governments, various governments already have been trying to stop it. Um, Chinese government has put in numerous attempts at bans over the years from Bitcoin itself to the exchanges to right now with the mining ban. I know other governments such as Pakistan have uh, tried to crack down on it. I think India as well a couple years ago, if I remember correctly. So governments are not going to stop messing with it. Um, there are going to be various proposals to regulate it in different ways. Um, I don't think Western nations are going to try to go the, 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 the way of outright banning it. I think they already know that that's not possible. But I think they're certainly going to try to regulate it in various ways. and. Make sure they, get, they, they make sure they get their uh, tax payments and whatever. <laughs>